This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Hi everyone, I'm Jane Tara and I'm chatting to authors and experts about their self-help, wellness and personal development books. If you're looking for ways to be happy, be well and be inspired, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Better Reading B. Tom Cronin worked in finance for 26 years, eventually turning to meditation to help alleviate stress. It transformed his life and led to a new career as a meditation teacher, founder of The Stillness Project, and author of The Portal, which was also turned into a film. He's here today to talk about all of that and more. Tom, I'm really glad you're on here. Welcome to Be Better. I'm glad to be here as well. I'm looking forward to our chat. Yeah. So normally on the B podcast, I discuss a book in detail and I loved your book. I loved the portal. I loved the film, but I reached out to you to not only discuss that, but to discuss, you know, your whole career and your meditation practice. I know the incredible work that you do and I feel like we're sort of at a pivotal time and really divisive time in history. And I honestly believe that meditation is a tool for healing, starting with the self, but ultimately it impacts the whole as well. So talk to me about how you came to meditation, because I know you were in finance. You were a bit of a high flyer for decades. Yeah, I was a bit of a crazy wild cowboy in finance back in the heydays of the late 80s, early 90s, which was, if anyone wants to get some, I guess, some perspective on that. They just need to watch Wolf of Wall Street, the movie with um, Leonardo DiCaprio. And he, he played a character's or real life role of um, Jordan Belfort. And he started his career in 1987 at the age of 22. And I started mine in 1987 at the age of 19. And it was kind of really reckless and crazy times. It was like the wild west of finance markets back then. And the markets were quite new, but there was no sort of regulation. There was no sort of, you know, HR departments and keeping a check of what was going on. And so it was pretty out of control, I guess, in some respects. And so a lot of drinking, a lot of parties, a lot of drugs. And for me, you know, I was supposed to do a degree in journalism and write articles for Time magazine, saving the world from capitalistic greed. I just come back from traveling around the world with my gap year after high school before I was going to do a degree in journalism. And, you know, I was listening to Susie and the Banshees and the Smiths and my tape deck and reading Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus about French existentialism. <laughs> and lo and behold, I needed some money because I blew it all <laughs> backpacking around the world. Most As you meant to, actually. Yeah, so, yeah. To. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I just applied for a bunch of jobs in the paper. And before long, I was on this massive trading room floor and, you know, I got swept along by the culture of the industry. Not to blame the industry, you know, I was easily part of that. Uh, and, you know, next thing you're doing lots of drugs, drinking, partying, staying up till two, three, four, five in the morning, back on a trading room floor, trading all day, billions of dollars with swaps and bonds. And it was kind of crazy times, but what happens is for everyone is that when we have things that aren't according to natural law and aren't tuned into the, the right dharma, the life path, then we get these symptoms, these anomalies showing up and for me, that was becoming very apparent in my body. I was getting a lot of anxiety, a lot of panic attacks, a lot of depression, a really uh, deep sense of hopelessness and being lost and disconnected, um, really sort of 
quite a, a dark, bleak time over time. It kind of kept escalating and no one knew this was happening. I was very good at masking that and hiding that, you know, I can still perform very well on a trading room floor and, you know, it's amazing how functioning we can be in these quite bleak states. Uh, but eventually this blew up in 1996 when I had a full-blown anxiety, panic attack, meltdown, a nervous breakdown really, mm. uh, which was diagnosed by my doctors and sent to a psychiatrist, put on medication, and put on suicide watch. So it was a really dark time in my life back then, but mm. it was also quite a significant pivotal point in my life mm. because that's when, you know, it's darkest before dawn, they say, and that was when I came across meditation. It was actually one of those divinely organized things by the universe where I was watching a documentary about a property developer and he was talking about how he used meditation for his success and it was like a light bulb moment for me it was like that's what I need that's what's missing in my life mm. and so that was really the start of my journey into mindfulness and meditation and it was a real game changer for me you know I, I learned a particular style Vedic meditation or transcendental meditation and the effects were really apparent very quickly like within days and weeks um, I noticed a significant change in my life and the direction of my life and so yeah that was really the pivotal point in my life where I came across it. Mm. And uh, where did you study in Sydney? Yeah I studied yeah. with an American teacher called Tom Knowles who was based yes. in Paddington at the time mm. so he's now in Flagstaff in Arizona and he he was part of a very very long deep lineage in this tradition called the Vedic tradition or the Vedas mm. and um, he was a, a brilliant exponent and teacher of this philosophy and this technique. And um, I went deep down the rabbit hole doing a lot of study here and in Australia in Australia and in, in India as well with him doing a lot of research and a lot of study into the understandings of the science of life and spirituality. Mm. And he was a great teacher to have um, to study under. And at what point did you feel that it was a life path, not just a, a spiritual path, but actually a career as well for you? Yeah, it took quite a long time. You know, I went back to the industry just so people can get the full gamut of what the story was. You know, mm. I got out of the darkness and the anxiety and panic attacks and depression went away quite quickly. And I went back into my career for 16 more years. So mm. it was quite a long 26-year career in finance. But it was in those last sort of few years where I was really going deep into my studies and really starting to notice the significant benefits from the meditation and the, the, the studies with it. And it became apparent that I kept referring lots of people who wanted to know about this path that I was on. And so I kept referring lots and lots of people to other teachers. And eventually I realized it was this time that I at least it on a part-time basis where I would be teaching meditation outside my work hours as a broker. On weekends, I would run courses or evenings I'd run courses. And then in my work holidays, I'd go and run retreats uh, in mm -hmm. Bali. And so it was really trying to infuse those two worlds just temporarily where I would be working full-time as a broker and then just a part-time on the side I'd be teaching some meditation and running mm -hmm. retreats. And then it was eventually when I realised after a period of time that this was something that I really wanted to do and I really wanted to bring this into my life in a big way and go all in. And that was a mm -hmm. good step to take. Mm -hmm. And how long ago was that? It was in 2012, so mm. it was going back, you know, just about you know, 11, 12, 13 years. No, well, we've got 12 years now. It's interesting that you talk about a breakdown. You know, so many people who really commit to a journey like this hit rock bottom in some way, and it, it's the phoenix always rises. You know, it's that process of healing. But one of the 
things that I always tell people is don't get to that point. You know, so many of us do, and I know I was there as well. You know, don't wait for that point in your life and the stresses to break you before you turn to something like meditation. Do you find, and I find that there is a shift at, um, at the moment, a shift on the planet with people who are learning mindful techniques at the very least, but do you find as a teacher that more and more people are coming to you before that point and just wanting, it's more mainstream, they're wanting to incorporate it into their lives? Yeah, look, you know, we get very indoctrinated in how to live our life. And so what might be normal and familiar might not necessarily be sustainable and good. And traditionally what we had was a fairly unsustainable um, particular pathway for living lives. And that's why a lot of people had to get to a particular breaking point because we're so indoctrinated to live life in that particular way, um, which was just fairly unsustainable. But what, what we're starting to find is, as we're becoming more open to other ideas. We're becoming a lot more open to other ideas. We're hearing about a lot more other ideas and we're learning to incorporate a lot of these tools and techniques that are going to help add value to our life in a better way. So you're finding that a lot more people are doing ice baths and breath work and yoga and meditation. I love my ice baths. Yeah, Mm. you know, same. Mm. And so what we're seeing is that using tools for adaptation, for evolution, for progress is becoming more familiar and more common, whereas in the past they weren't and they weren't even available. Mm. And so usually for a lot of people in the old days it was waiting till breaking point and then having Mm. some divine intervention that would probably realign us to help us evolve. Whereas these days we can have a lot more of these tools accessible and available to us and it's more common practice to use them. So we find that we don't hopefully need to get to that breaking point. And the, the challenge I'm facing or we're facing, I guess, as a species is that collectively we're, we're moving towards that breakdown and breakthrough, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, and we don't seem to be adapting quick enough to prevent a major crisis. Uh, but for a mm-hmm. lot of people it, and civilizations, it does require that major crisis before something changes. Mm. And this is why I think what you're doing, it's such important work. It's really important work, actually, because you're not only teaching people individually and also, you know, collectively at retreats, but, you know, you're putting the message out on a broad scale with the film and the book. How did you feel like after, what was your life like after that came out? Because it certainly took you to a new level of being able to teach on a much more global scale. I think the big thing that it it, it did for me and there was a lot of challenges in making that film, but what it did do was it it helped me have a bigger vision of what's possible for me and, and my role in the world. And this is one thing I take a lot of my clients through who are conscious leaders is that the, the, the scope and size of your business will be a reflection of the scope and size of your consciousness and your, the idea that you have about yourself and what your, possi- what your possibilities are, what your mm-hmm. capabilities are. And so it really got to start with our mindset of, of who we are and where we want to play in the world. And when the film was being released, we wanted it to have a global release. We wanted it to be global impact. And so therefore, as an extension of me, I had to see myself in that particular framework, mm. in that light. And so that's one thing that it really helped me have a bigger vision and idea about what's possible and what my role in the world could be. That's the beauty of meditation as well. So meditation, we talk about it and let's like sort of bring it right back to the individual and how it can help. But, you know, my personal experience is, you know, that it's very healing, that 
you know, the benefits on a day-to-day basis are incredible. But once you become an experienced meditator and you commit to that and therefore you're committing to yourself, you could start to do what you're talking about and actually see. It's like it's quantum I noticed you talk about quantum manifesting recently and perhaps that's sort of a a shift in language that you've been using, but it is actually changing how you see yourself, having a very clear vision of where you sit each step of the way and then creating your life going forward um, much more clearly. And, you know, but you've got to start by sitting down. That's the first step. So, for anyone who's listening who doesn't understand what Vedic meditation is, talk to me about that. Yeah, Vedic meditation, V-E-D-I-C, uh, Vedic meditation is a limb of what we call the Vedas, which is a vast body of the science of life. It's been passed down for between five to 7,000 years, word of mouth, and in books as well. And it's a, a deep understanding about life on many, many levels, physiological, architecturally, uh, spiritually, Um, mentally, mindfully, so many, many layers uh, encompassed in that deep body of knowledge called the Vedas. And one of the limbs of the Vedic philosophy, Vedic knowledge, is a technique that incorporates a particular meditation practice using primordial sounds or mantras. And what it does is twofold. It takes, using the mantra, it takes the mind deep into what we call a transcendence or transcending experience where the mind goes beyond the... um, it basically, it's, it's an experience beyond having thoughts, beyond having feelings, that is emotions, and beyond having a limited physical locality, that's your body that you're occupying and residing in. And when we transcend those three layers, we call them the lower vehicles of your own identity, you experience conscious awareness and still an aliveness, but not limited to that framework. It's very advanced and sounds esoteric for a lot of people. Um, but what happens is we get to experience ourselves more than thoughts, feelings, and physicality. And we start to experience ourselves as conscious awareness itself. It's very mm-hmm. powerful. So on two levels, the first thing that is very powerful about it is that when we're awake and not having a thought and being conscious, the physiological body goes into a profoundly deep state of rest. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get all the healing done. So step one is let's heal the body of all those anomalies, all that cortisol, the adrenaline, the mm-hmm. stress, the trauma, the anger, the fear, all those anomalies and abnormalities that are in the body causing disease and discomfort, that starts to just naturally just melt away over time. So that's step one. The step two is that this expansion of mind, when we transcend the limited, we call them vasanas, which are tendencies of the mind to think in a particular way. And it's a software code that you have been given and you get coded uh, through daily life as well. With this operating system in your mind, Now, when we transcend that thinking mind and those habitual patterns of thought, we access the field of conscious mind. And what happens is in that we really access the entire field of all potential and the field of all creative um, Mm. possibility. And so that's when we start to go, hang on a sec, like that field is an expansive mind outside of the skull. It's like my skull and my brain is in that field now and it's like all intelligence And then from there, when we start to make this a regular practice with our daily life and incorporate that continuous expansion of mind, we start to learn how to play with that field and realize that we have immense creative potential to create and to 
craft and design your life moving forward day after day. And so mm. that's when we start talking about, you know, quantum mechanics, not just on um, what you're attracting through the laws of magnetism, but also what you're looking to create and design for your life in the future. Mm. Yes. And I, I'm doing that daily at the moment. I've got such a great story to share, but I'm just going to sit on it for the moment. But, you know, my first experience of that expanded consciousness that um, you're talking about, I'd been meditating for years at this point and I had a skin cancer on my face. This is four years ago. And uh, I was booked in to have surgery for it. And I had this kind of energetic, almost blowout of, of the, around my heart and it went up into my brain and this sort of expansiveness where it was almost like I got out of my own way. It's the only way I can describe it. I was out of my own way and yet I was there. But all the chatter was very much pushed to the background. And I started this very clear thought of healing my face, even though I knew that I was booked in for surgery a week later, just healing my face. And this energy in my heart was pulling it back. So it was like a sort of a a two-way kind of rhythm, I guess. And anyway, the next, I came out of this meditation, went, wow, that was intense. It was the first time that I'd experienced something like that personally, although I'd heard other people having a lot of really incredible experiences. I went to bed that night and woke up and I looked in the mirror and this thing on my face had completely changed. And I went to the surgeon, plastic surgeon here in Sydney, who couldn't find what I'd been sent for. He was holding the referral. He's looking at my face and everything. And um, he couldn't find what I'd been sent for. He goes, I know it's here. It's described here and you've had two biopsies and blah, 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 you know, whatever. I went back to my original doctor. He was stumped as well. I went to a third uh, skin doctor who took a very deep biopsy and that was clear and that was four years ago and it was gone. So it kind of, that was a real shift for me in the power of what we can do if we commit to ourselves and we have very clear intentions around meditation. And I've heard countless stories of all sorts of healings and all sorts of incredible things that have happened to people. But that was my, there's no turning back now. I'm 110% committed to this process and unraveling my mind and all the knots in it and everything else that comes with a, a meditation practice. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating when we're having these types of conversations now in this world, in this current point in time, and some people in the audience might be going, that's a little bit out there, Mm. that's kind of woo-woo. And some people in the audience go, absolutely, that's just 100%. I know that because I use it and I Mm. play with it and that's Mm. a reality in my life all the time. Now, if we were to reverse back, say, a 1,000 years, we wouldn't be having this conversation because it wouldn't be familiar, it wouldn't be Mm. known, it wouldn't be discovered Mm. If we went forward in a thousand years time, they'd probably be levitating and teleporting and going, well, of course you can manifest objects. And so when we're studying maths, you know, when we're in first class and we only hear that one plus one equals two, then we don't know anything else than one plus one equals two. 
Little did we know that down the track in fourth year quantum physics, you're learning all of the, you know, complex physics equations. It wasn't that they didn't exist. It's just that we hadn't come across them yet. And so mm. I think as a species in our evolution, we're at the very, very early stages. You know, we had Think and Grow Rich in the 1920s and we had The Secret in 2006 or something. You know, I think we're only just, we've got some dude 2,000 years ago that could manifest loaves and fishes. And yeah. There's many great masters that have mm. since in between him and before him been able to do phenomenal things with intention mm. and visualisation and, um, and thought. So I think as a species, if we look at things on a very large macro perspective and look over at thousands and thousands and thousands of years, we're only just starting to tap into our human potential. Mm. And I think what we don't know fully and haven't realized fully is what we're going to very soon, which is very, very exciting about our possibilities of manifesting, playing with the quantum physics, playing with time, and that this is just something that in our evolutionary sequence, we're only just on the cusp of. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's so much research now to actually back up what we're talking about as well. I know, I don't know whether you know, but I, I do um, Dr. Joe Dispenza meditations. I went to a retreat and everything, and they're doing some amazing research mm. into the benefits, the long, you know, of um, certain proteins that long-term meditators are creating that actually impact the health, which is very, very exciting and sort of cutting edge. But for anyone who's listening who wants to study Vedic meditation, so what's the process? What happens for them? Yeah, usually they would find a teacher in the area. It could be Transcendental Meditation or Vedic Meditation. It's a similar technique. They would find a teacher in their area and then they would go through four consecutive sessions with that teacher. The first session they get their particular sound or mantra based upon when they were born. And then from there, they would learn how to meditate using that mantra. And then going into the second session, we'd look at the general guidelines and how to optimize your practice and then meditate and check your mantra in that session. Third mm -hmm. session, we look at the general guidelines around the mechanics of the meditation, what's happening in your meditation, why are you going to get thoughts, why are you going to get sensations, why mm -hmm. you might even get emotional during your meditation. And then in the last session, we look at sort of more advanced and esoteric subject matter around mm. meditation, the longer benefits, longer term benefits for you as an individual and you as a species as a whole, if we have more people meditating as a, as a whole. So I haven't studied Vedic, um, but my ex-husband did. And 
we, at one point, our younger son was struggling with dyslexia and a lot of um, anxiety at school. And I've always meditated with my kids, but he took him to a kid's course So, and when you say you get a mantra that's based on when you're born, so he got something that he learned and it was able to really help him with his own mental health for a period of time. So do you teach kids or teenagers? Yeah, absolutely. We generally teach kids from six onwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, We tend to find, I find anyway, I've done quite a few teen and youth programs, but It's interesting, my main focus is working with parents because children are growing and evolving through predominantly osmosis. That's through Mm. observation with the parent. And we can have lots of peaceful children, but if we have a lot of stressed parents, they can undo Mm. a lot of the benefits of having peaceful children. So we definitely need to incorporate these days um, strategies and programs to help children to keep their attention a little bit more centered and focused. They're getting such scattered attention at the moment with particularly phones Mm. and the information overload that by default it's leading to a lot of ADHD and OCD. And I know some of that's genetic, there's no question about it, but a lot of that is actually developed because of Mm -hmm. the way we're saturating our society with information overload. And what's happening is our attention is just getting so scattered and that's a developed process and we can redevelop that into a more um, sort of calmer, more concentrated more soothe the nervous system. So definitely we need to work with children. I find find that myself, you know, if I just say I have a week without meditation, which is pretty rare nowadays, but it happens and I've got everything that's going on and I'm reading lots of books for work and I'm doing everything. Honestly, I, you know, I'm very scattered. So I can't even begin to imagine what a young person must be like who, you know, my, my boys are older now still addicted to their phones, but have other interests. But these young kids who are glued to their phones the whole time or devices, it's frightening to think what's going on in their brain that they can't just sit and be still. Talk to me about the stillness project. So what what is that? There's a vision to mainstream meditation. This was before the apps and everything. I got very excited mm. about this um, movement to integrate meditation into daily lives and make it a norm and make it mainstream. Mm. We get up and we brush our teeth. That's normal. We turn on the news. That's normal. Mm. We, you know, watch horse racing. We watch sport. All of that's been normalized into our society. And what I was motivated to do was to normalize meditation and to make it become a household experience because I could see that most of the world's problems were stemming from a lack of consciousness or developed Mm. consciousness. And that if we could shift the minds of people and open up the hearts of people and remove the stress that's causing a lot of the dysfunction, Mm. then we'd have a healthier, happier world. Um, So the Stillness Project was really about inspiring more people to sit in stillness using meditation on a daily basis. I'm less attached to the outcomes of that now. I was quite alpha male about it and uh, (laughs) obsessed about it. So these days I'm just, you know, just... You kept meditating and it shifted. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I became less attached. (laughs) Do you think you're a different person now to who you were a few years ago? Do you think people can change? I've had this debate with a couple of men who say, oh, you know, people are people. Like they might grow and evolve a bit, but you are who you are. And you know, I feel like I need to reintroduce myself to people who I knew in the past because I'm nothing like I used to be. 
yeah, I mean, it'd be naive to think that we're not changing. We're always changing. It's just to, do, to what degree are we changing? So, you know, when we're a four-year-old kid and we drop our ice cream and we boil our eyes out, then we would think that that's normal. Oh, no, I'd still do that. Yeah. yeah, if it's Messina, right? If it's Messina ice cream, it would, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we don't have the same emotional response because ideally we've evolved and our perspective of the world has changed and expanded where that at four years old was an immense sense of loss, but at 30-year-old maybe it's not so gargantuan. And so it's to what degree are we changing? And we can definitely accelerate our progress and our change. You know, there's certain characteristics I think that I think we kind of get blueprinted with. Mm. And I think we do get a particular makeup of some sort. Um, and, you know, this could be Enneagram, it could be horoscopes, it could be love mm. languages, it could mm. be, you know, your human design. These are kind of like, it's like a $2 coin is always a $2 coin, but you can polish it. So it's a bit mm. shinier. So we do get a blueprint. It is like a, a trait, but we can actually over time certainly evolve that. We can tidy that up. We can iron out creases. And if we want to go much, much deeper, we can actually even into an enlightened state transcend that where mm. we call it the ego or the occupant. The, the characteristics are in the ego and when we clear that out, we almost become quite egoless. Mm. And so those characteristics will go as we, we clear out a lot of that construct. You might still have some interesting quirks and characteristics, but most of them or a lot of them will, will have melted away by then. I think certainly as you progress on a meditation path, one of the um, things that becomes very apparent, and it certainly did to me, was around attachment. I became less attached to things, certainly outcomes or being right, or, you know, something would happen and it would give me the space between an event and my reaction to actually choose how to react rather than just be in a constant state of reaction, which I think I was before I started studying meditation. My first serious um, meditation, I lived in Japan and studied over there for a few years, but it was back here probably about 15 years ago. I went to a Vipassana 10-day retreat and that was a game changer for me. Hello, welcome to your mind. <laughs> Meet it. It was like home. I thought I was going on a, you know, <laughs> relaxing, you know, meditation retreat. I was going to chill out for 10 days. It was like, you know, <laughs> hell for me. <laughs> hell. Have you ever done one of those? I haven't done for past but I've heard some great things about it. Yeah. So that sounds like a pretty amazing experience. I'd like to try it one day. Yeah, look, it, it was great, but I eventually found my personal sort of home and space that I, I love. Now, with Vedic meditation, it's twice a day, isn't it, for 20 minutes? Is that right? Yeah, or, yeah. it's quite, you know, I guess I wouldn't say regimented, but certainly there's some structure to it. And, and the structure's for a very good reason because it's all down to the input of stress and the output of stress. And mm. we have a lot of stress going into our body on a daily basis, more so than we've ever seen as a human species. If you go back 10, 20, 30,000 years, you know, this is the ultimate level of inputting of stress that we've ever seen. And that's causing really ultimately all the disease and the discord and the conflict mm. in, in the world is just the, because there's so much stress being experienced. And so to offset that and to clear that out, we do need to have a daily program or daily process to help clear that stress accumulation out. So twice a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon for 20 minutes, it really is a, it's, and it's really quite experiential. I say to my students, 
Just do your own research. See what life's like when you don't meditate at all. See what life's like when you do one meditation a day and see what life's like when you do two meditations a day. Mm. Some of my students would do three, once in the morning, once at lunch and once mm. in the afternoon. And I just say to them, look, this, let that be your validation. Let that be your experience. And all the students will say it's definitive that if they meditate twice a day, their life is substantially better. Mm. And so it's just testimony really through personal experience. And it is, uh, it becomes a, almost like a non-negotiable. Like I, you know, meditate first thing because if I don't, I feel it in my day. But I find, I have found over, over the last few years that I'll meditate at night again. And which means I don't drink as well. Like I'll say no to drinks or whatever because, you know, because I really want to meditate at night, which is, you know, it's just a beautiful way to end the day and have a really great sleep. So are you going to write any more books? Oh, I don't know if that's the best use of my time. I really enjoy coaching. I, I like at the moment mentoring conscious leaders to help them really step up into the world. I, I noticed that there was a, a lot of people becoming breath workers and coaches and healers and meditation teachers and yoga teachers. And there wasn't a lot of guidance as to how to run businesses as one mm. of those. So at the moment, a big focus of mine is to help them set up their businesses and, and help them to overcome self-sabotage and limiting beliefs around their capacity to do that. Mm. So that's a big focus of where I'm at. And running retreats, again, is another good use of my time where I can actually take people deep into an immersion. Mm. Books are great tools to have out there, but I find that there's a limit to the impact my book can have on someone because it's only data. Mm -hmm. and what I want people to have is experience. And so my focus now is on some form of data, which is information flow, but really giving people direct experience of so teaching them meditation, taking them into retreats and actually seeing them in real time go through a transformation because of the practice that I'm giving them. Mm, I know you have a retreat coming up. Is that right? Yeah, in April, yeah. Alchemy in, uh, up near Byron Bay. Oh, fantastic. So people can go on to tomcronin.com and check you out on Instagram if they're interested in studying, just following you, but studying with you and certainly with the retreats and the work that you're doing. And Tom, you're doing amazing work. It's really important. And I really appreciate you coming on here and talking about it today with me. God's been great. Thanks so much for such great questioning. And yeah, hopefully um, we've given some people some insight and some inspiration and make a little bit of difference in their lives. Thanks a lot. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. 
And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com slash covered. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.